This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. Yo, welcome back to the show. It is Q&A time. Let's get it. All right. So the first question is actually a follow up from one of last week's questions about setting up refeeds. All right. So I'm going to paraphrase this a bit, but basically she is eating about 1300 calories, um, 120 grams of protein, 145 grams of carbs, and about 27 grams of fat. And she's again, wondering how to set up a refeed with that. So there we see like, you'll hear a lot of people say like, no one should eat less than 1200 calories. Um, which it very much so depends on the client. Like, um, just this on kind of a side tangent, but something I want to make clear, like, okay, we don't know how often this individual is training. We don't know how sedentary they are. Um, maybe she only gets a couple thousand steps a day. So there's so many like factors again, kind of a different tangent, but you'll so often hear, like I see on Instagram all the time lately, like no one should ever eat below 1200 calories where in real life, like in nutrition coaching, I see all the time where like sedentary individuals and like, this is an 118 pound woman. Like she's already a very, I believe she said she's 118 pounds. Yes. So already a pretty lean individual i'm guessing isn't very or isn't hugely active and that's like the reality of many again like within online coaching all the time like i work with individuals like this who just aren't that active just don't like the reality of their lives is they can't go get fifteen thousand steps a day shit even for me like my job is training nutrition but i spend all day at my desk i get six thousand steps a day and that's the reality for many people so often like we just throw out we see these blanket statements thrown out like no one should every woman should be able to eat over 2000 calories every man should be able to eat over 3000 calories and maintain when that's just not the reality like there's so many variables as far as like your weight how much muscle mass you have what's your job like what's your sleep like so many different factors that go into this but kind of a different side tangent all right so anyways as far as setting up a refeed So she's currently losing about a half pound a week. So the easiest way to look at this is, and I would just look at your average weight loss over the last month. Okay, so let's say she's averaging about a pound of weight loss per week over, or a half pound of weight loss per week over the last month. So we know that to lose a pound of fat, you need to create a calorie deficit of 3,500 calories. So to lose a half a pound of fat per week, she would need to be in a deficit of 1,750 calories per week. Um, So when we're trying to determine your maintenance, which typically like we know that a single day refeed, it's not really going to have any hormonal benefits, right? Like it was thought for the longest time and even like a two to three day refeed now, it's more and more seeming like like most of the benefits are... um, psychological rather than physiological hormonal benefits that we used to think they were like i know even like this time last year i was talking about how three-day refeeds showed all these like okay we see leptin bump back up when we spend um three days eating carbs at mean it's like when we spend three days eating a lot more carbs essentially and now we know that like okay well that might be true within i think it's 12 hours of hopping back into a deficit 
leptin levels drop right back to where they were before. And it's a lot more a product of your current body fat percentage than anything else. Okay, so um, again, but <laughs> lots of tangents today already. But the point here is, okay, so we know she's in approximately a 1,750 calorie per week deficit. So if we're trying to find her maintenance, which when we're setting up a refeed, again, with the knowledge that we have now, where like it seems like it's mostly psychological, if you wanted to see quicker progress, you don't have to return your calories all the way to maintenance like was previously thought. Now, that said, because you're in a relatively small deficit across the week, I likely would. So let me pull up my calculator here quick. Actually, I don't need to do that. So <laughs> you are in a, again, if we're in a 1,750 calorie per week deficit, we are in a 2,000 or a 250 calorie per day deficit. So basically first we would start with, okay, anywhere between these current, what I believe I said, 1300 calories, around 1300 calories that she's eating and 1550 calories, which we're estimating is about her maintenance is where we can take. So anywhere between that 1300 and 1550 is where we can set your overall calorie intake for this refeed. Now I would, again, because it's not a big jump, like I would just go all the way back up to 1550 here and I would fill those calories via carbs. Now, again, like it was previously thought that you should do uh, for over a diet break, over a, uh, or excuse me, over a refeed, we should bump calories via carbs due to their impact on leptin. But again, now we know that that's likely not the benefits that we're reaping from this. But as far as your training performance goes, we know that this will refill your muscle glycogen stores, which means you'll be able to train harder and you'll be able to recover better over the next training day or two. And this is something Chris Barricat and I talked about on the, I believe I called it the complete guide to body recomposition episode that dropped two to three weeks ago. Um, and it is a good strategy to use. Like if you're someone that is, you're getting leaner and you want to, if at all possible, build a little bit of muscle in the process. It's a good strategy to use more frequently because it can potentially help, again, your training performance, your recovery, your ability, and therefore your ability to add or at the very least maintain muscle. But as far as actually setting up the macros, that's how it would go about it. Now, she also asked um, how you would set up like a meal for this. Now, but again, again here, like 250 calories just isn't really that big of an increase so basically here it's looking to like 250 calories of carbs is what um like 60 grams of carbs like 62.5 grams of carbs or something like that but um okay so there basically i would just look at like that's basically like three-fourths of a bowl of rice right or like three-fourths of a cup of rice i should say uncooked um so there again i would just look at like last week when we talked about these carb dense foods that you can add in, I would just, that's literally like, hey, I could add in a couple pieces of fruit, or if I'm going to get a little bit more flexible with it, maybe it's something like a couple pieces of candy. Um, but that's what I would do as far as setting it in, setting that up, because again, it's not enough calories that we're going to like, okay, how do I work in all these calories? Should be pretty easy to make work, but just look for, again, food sources that are mostly carbs. I would go with, like, if you want to like, quote unquote, keep it clean or like, stick with whole foods i should say i like the terminology much better rice or fruit would be a good option otherwise if you're looking for something that's mostly carbs that you want to get it a little bit more quote-unquote flexible with you could go with like a pretzel or we could do like some sour patch kids anything like that 
But again, I would do this mostly via carbs if you're chasing the physiological benefits of it. All right, next question. Should training day versus non-training day macros be different? All right, so here it very much depends on the individual. So I have clients where macros are the same across the board. I have clients that do a one-day refeed like we just talked about, and I have clients that have macros higher on their training days, lower on their off days. It very much depends. So anytime I'm setting up macros like this for an online client, we're really looking at like for you, what's going to be easiest for you to adhere to. So like I know for some clients, just the fact of tracking macros itself or shit, maybe it's just calories and protein, just like that in itself is pretty stressful. So if on top of that, I add like, hey, on these four training days, I want you to bump your carbs up by 100. On these three off days, we're gonna decrease these by 100. And so your calories as a whole are gonna be quite a bit different as well. It just creates more stress and then people can't adhere to it. And I honestly think that's why many online coaches struggle so much with client adherence. It's trying to overcomplicate things right out of the gate. Now on the flip side, if I have a more advanced individual that starts coaching hey i mostly want to lose fat but i also want to build some muscle in the process so like we could call this a body recomposition with a focus on fat loss so typically like when we're looking at a body recomposition um building muscle and losing fat at the same time it's either okay it's an emphasis on fat loss and then like kind of a side dish of building muscle or an emphasis on building muscle and maybe we're maintaining fat but because you build so much muscle, your body composition looks much different. And also your body fat will be lower if you maintain the same amount of fat, but add muscle to your frame. So in that case, it's an emphasis on building muscle and kind of this side dish of fat loss. All right. So again, it very much um, off on a different tangent again here. But the point of this is if someone comes in, okay, I'm chasing fat loss with a side dish of building muscle. Like I know I... Maybe I just haven't been training properly for a while. Maybe I'm slightly detrained. Um, or I just don't have a, I haven't been pushing it as hard as I could. But again, I need to get a good bit leaner for like, let's say, I want to get ready for a photo shoot. All right, so this is a situation where typically out of the gate we would, um, and again, this is a more advanced individual. They're already more experienced with tracking macros, etc. So that's a situation where, okay, we're going to set your macros up where we are going to be higher carb and overall higher calorie on your training days so we can fuel your training and your recovery as best possible. Now, it also depends on their split. Like if this client's training five to six times a week, are we going to have six high days and one low day? No. So there we're likely going to choose the two to four hardest training days of the week and set those up as the higher calorie days. And again, more carbs and we're going to pair like we want those two carb heaviest meals to sandwich their workout. So on either side of their workout. Now, again, if we see that like, okay, the client overall isn't able to adhere to the deficit with the strategy, one, maybe it's just overwhelming to try to like manage all these high days and low days, then we're not gonna stick to that. And the other situation where I really use this often, very similarly, is going to be in a mini cut. Now, in a mini cut, we're using this with individuals or that are advanced enough that typically they're not, and they've been on point for long enough, more, more importantly, um, had training, nutrition, et cetera, dialed in. Like typically by the time I'm taking an online client through a mini cut, 
most of the time you've gone through a fat loss phase, you've already gotten lean, and then we've entered a building phase and we've been in that for typically three to five months. So we've likely been working together for about nine months to a year by this point. So by the time we entered this phase, we already know, okay, you've had your nutrition, you've had your training, you've had your sleep, you've had your stress management all dialed in for so long because that's what we hold you accountable to doing every single day within online coaching. We know you're on point with those factors. So we know that like, especially going into this mini cut, this is aggressive fat loss phase is not likely that you're going to be building muscle, but we do want to do everything possible to maintain muscle, especially because in a mini cut, um, we are chasing very aggressive fat loss. So here again, I would likely choose the two to four most intense training days, make those days higher calorie, higher carb, and the other days of the week be your lower calorie days. Um, outside of that, for adherence sake, typically like having one to two days refeed per week. And then just like instead of if we have, because we also have to remember that like if we have four days that are at maintenance or 100 to 200 calories above maintenance, we have to make up for that difference across the rest of the week to actually create an appreciable rate of fat loss. So for most people that just like, hey, I want to get leaner, we're rather going to, we want to get you to that endpoint as quickly as possible. We'll still, of course, maintaining or ideally building a bit of lean muscle. And again, like many new online clients that started the coaching process, I would say 90% of people will see a recomp effect because for most people as the first time you have had training, sleep, nutrition, all these factors dialed in at the same time and as consistently as you do within online coaching. But we're going to establish one clear goal. And unless that goal is again, like a recomp or a mini cut, typically we'll just set it up. Okay. In a fat loss phase, because for most people, if we have like these three to four days of higher calories, and again, like in a, in a recomp scenario, we are seeing a much slower rate of fat loss. But for someone that just comes in like, yeah, I have 20 to 30 pounds to lose. Okay, so there, if we have like three to four high days per week, it's just going to have to be such big deficits the other couple days of the week to create appreciable fat loss. Again, typically like 0.5 to 1% of body weight per week is what we aim for. But it generally makes more sense to like, hey, we're just going to have six days per week that aren't going to be nearly as low as your low days would be if you only had three low days per week. So you're going to have more food. Um, but overall, we can create a larger deficit across the course of the week and maybe we'll have one refeed day or maybe we'll have even two refeed days. But that's much easier from an adherence perspective for most people where, again, I think you can just like get too cute with these things. And like, well, on paper, it might seem like a good idea. It just is really hard for people to adhere to outside of like those specific contexts that I talked about. All right. Final question of the day. I'm pretty confused about the interview you did regarding using exercises that go with the strength curve versus not worrying about it. All right. So um, this is a great question. The interview she's referencing is my interview with Cody Moxley. I believe that that dropped last week. Um, great interview. Very, very smart dude. Part of the team at N1 Training and Education. So definitely go listen to that episode. You'll learn so much about training. But one of the main topics we discussed there was this idea of strength curves 
and resistance profiles. So in simplest terms, a strength curve is how the difficulty of the movement changes across the movement. So if we look at, um, let's say, a squat pattern, right? The bottom of the squat is typically the hardest, and why that is is that your moment arms change. Basically, we can think that our knees get further away from our hips and our ankles, and that makes the movement harder. Now, once we pass like that halfway point, the higher we get, the easier the movement is going to be. So basically, the strength when we're talking about strength curves, we're talking about like okay, some points of the movement are more difficult than others. Whereas if we look at like another example is like a bicep curl, halfway up that movement is going to be the hardest um where the bar is furthest from the body all right then the resistance profile is basically how the resistance of a movement changes across the course of a movement so if we look at like just a typical leg press again we know that that's gonna be pretty linear because across the course of um across the course of a press like the load isn't changing no real resistance is changing right um, so then similarly to like a squat, it would be harder at the bottom. The top half of the movement is going to be quite a bit easier than the bottom half. Now, let's say we added bands to that. So we had bands attached to the floor and then over the pegs of the leg press. So as you pressed up through the top half of the movement, band tension was getting greater and greater and greater. Suddenly we've changed the resistance profile. This is called accommodating resistance. So we're increasing the resistance to kind of match where the movement gets easier. So therefore we're creating more tension throughout the muscle through the entire range of motion. So the question here is basically, how far do you take this? Should you apply it to all of your movements or like when do you use this versus when not? And then we also got the discussion of like, okay, selecting movements that overload in the lengthened position versus the shortened versus the mid-range. So this is something that I've gone back and forth on quite a bit, and you'll hear a lot of different opinions in the industry. So really where I stand with this now, and in one, how they program, um, they have different phases that focus more on like when we're looking at things in the lengthened, shortened, and mid-range, like where we're training emotion. So for example, if we're looking at like, let's say your chest, you're training pecs. Okay, if we're doing a... Uh, dumbbell fly that movement is going to be the most challenging it's going to create the most overload in the lengthened position when your chest is really stretched out your hands are far from your torso whereas if you're doing a cable fly it's going to be in the shortened position whereas like a uh, dumbbell bench press or an incline bench press is likely going to be in the mid-range so then again like <laughs> this whole conversation of how do we apply all of this so and again, this is something I've gone back and forth on because I used to think we need to match everything. Now, how I look at it now is it's likely a good idea over the course of your mesocycle to train movements that um, were basically hitting, ticking a couple of those boxes. So like, okay, I know that I like a good example that Austin Current and I talked about on our podcast um, a month or two ago was, okay, so like with your leg day. If we're looking at everything you're doing is, and you're trying to grow your quads. Okay, so you wouldn't just go and do, okay, I'm gonna go do a leg press, then I'm gonna do a back squat, and then I'm gonna do a lunge, right? Or like a goblet squat, because we're all training like that. Um, 
mid-range position over and over and over again. So it's probably smart to have some variety there. Now, the thing is, I think that if you're a coach that's been programming for a good amount of time, most of this will come pretty intuitively to you. So we know like, okay, no, instead I'm gonna do like a back squat or a leg press that's gonna overload mostly the mid-range. Maybe I'm gonna do something like a sissy squat that's really gonna overload the lengthened position. And then I'm gonna do a leg extension that is really gonna overload the shortened position for my quads. Okay, cool. Now I've ticked these boxes. Or maybe even you're gonna just do like a back squat, that's gonna hit a good amount of the lengthened position and really overload that mid-range. And then I'm going to do a leg extension. Okay, dope. And we likely know that that'll be more effective than just like squat, squat, squat over and over and over again. That said, again, like we talked about, I think that this is something that you don't have to overthink too much because it pretty intuitively comes to most people. We can basically look at it like similar to like if we're trying to vary the joint angles, right? Like it just makes sense to add a bit of variation as far as like, okay, you're not going to do the exact same movement pattern over and over and over again. Now, as far as matching, and that's a very similar conversation with like, always trying to match the resistance profiles and the strength curves. Because again, we know like an example that came up on that podcast was this conversation of, okay, do we need to, like, if we look at a stepped back hammer strength row, where instead of like having your chest on the hammer strength pad, you're stepped back to where one of your arms is fully straight in it, it's against the pad. Then when you're rowing, basically the movement gets easier as you get get weaker so the resistance profile matches the strength curve of the movement but again if we're looking at okay this is really just overloading the mid-range of the movement so if we're only training like okay the resistance profile of this matches up perfectly then we're also missing out on okay but i'm not training these muscles in the shortened and lengthened positions ever so (laughs) basically in summary of all this I think that this idea of like accommodating resistance, um, understanding like training things in the lengthened, shortened, and mid ranges is important. I think that most of it comes pretty intuitively. You don't need to repeat the exact same patterns over and over and over. It's a good idea across a training week when you're training the same muscle group with multiple movements to add some variety between the mid range, shortened, and lengthened position. And then as far as matching resistance profiles to strength curves i think that often like especially on your push movements this is an idea that's helpful so like for example with a client that's like doing a hack squat or a band resist or a leg press i will often add bands just because it's pretty easy to set up but i also think we can get to the point where like this is much easier than um much easier in on paper than it is in execution right and people just get to be fucking around way too much with bands chains etc and never actually train effectively and then finally to take this in a completely different um to take this from and honestly like for my clients i should say mostly the only times i really incorporate like accommodating resistance so basically like adding bands to your pushing movements is going to be like leg presses hack squats where it's pretty easy to do and just like from the most bro perspective ever, your quads are lit up after that, (laughs) Um, more so than without typically. But again, to take this conversation in a completely different direction, we also have, uh, this came out in mass not too long ago, but a study they did on this, and they showed that basically matching the resistance profile to the strength curve 
didn't amount to better gains. <laughs> so take all of that with a grain of salt. I think it's a cool idea, a cool concept, but it's not something that's researched super well yet, but it does make a lot of sense to add some variety again between shortened, lengthened, and mid-range exercises across the course of a training week. All right, guys, and that is all I have for you. Thank you for tuning in.